0: talk to your lawmakers, talk to the people that make the decisions and let them know why it's not working. Let them know about your nursing shortages. Let them know about the complex level of care that your child requires. One of the bigger things that helped me when I was advocating for for Brett in particular regarding the parent CNA program was reminding them who this was about. This is not about me. This is not about you know, laws. It was not about politics. It was about a child who needs to be properly cared for so that he doesn't go to an institution or a group home or worse. Welcome to the Unforgotten Families Podcast, an action oriented community of hope, inclusivity, and compassion for all medically fragile families. This podcast was created to spread awareness, share solutions, and advocate for the needs of these resilient individuals. It's our hope that the information and stories we share will inspire and empower you to join us in advocating for these families and help to ensure that they are never forgotten.
1: Hello, Tough Advocates. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Unforgotten Families podcast. Today, we are happy to be with an awesome mother named Jennifer. She has a son named Brett, and she adopted him 10 years ago in Colorado, and we are going to hear about their story today. Jennifer used to live up in Colorado and experience the family CNA program firsthand, and now she lives in Arizona, which it isn't quite ready here yet, but it will be starting very soon. So we are just very grateful to have you here, Jennifer, and thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: The one thing that I would love to connect with you on, you know, I do know a little of your story adopting Brett 10 years ago, and I would love to just know a little bit about Brett's adoption story.
0: Sure. Back when I was about 23 years old, I was a first-year teacher. I was teaching special education up in Greeley, Colorado, and Brett was a student in my class. So that's how I first met him. He was transferred to my class in the middle of the year that year. He was not doing very well in his previous um, school placement. And so he was transferred to my classroom. And so I had Brett in my class for about half the school year. And right when school got out that summer, there was a series of events that happened. um, But basically, Brett was removed from his home by the Department of Human Services. There were a lot of safety concerns in the home. He had been found uh, wandering the streets by himself on many, many occasions. So there were just a lot of safety concerns for him. I kind of first found out about his removal through his mom. I had given her my phone number because school had ended, and I just wanted to make sure she had any support she needed because I knew the family was kind of struggling and that sort of thing. So basically, she had called me and, and mentioned that he had been removed from the home. He was sent to foster care. Wasn't doing very well in foster care. He was placed back in his home with his biological mom. After a few days um, after the removal, he was placed back in the home. And then, unfortunately, within a couple of days, he was found wandering again by police. So he was removed from his home again. He was sent to foster care again, and really was not doing well. He was sent to five different homes within three days. The foster families that had taken him had just said that his needs kind of outweighed their capacity to care for him. So he was bounced around quite a lot in quite a short amount of time, which is pretty traumatic for for any child, but then also for a child with additional needs and just kind of the lack of understanding that was very traumatic for him. I received a call at ten thirty at night on a Saturday night, um, asking me if I would be willing to take custody of Brett for ten days. They just were not able to find him an appropriate placement. They had asked his mother if she knew anybody that would be able to take care of him, and she just she just had said, "Oh, his teacher is pretty good at you know managing his behaviors." So, so that's kind of how that came about. So That was a Saturday night. Like I said, I was a first year teacher. I was quite young. I was living with a roommate. We were you know, just out of college and still kind of in that, that phase of our lives. So it was a very abrupt change. Wow. Yeah.
1: And so you thought it was going to be this five day adoption and what happened?
0: It was supposed to be 10 days until his next court hearing. And it was expected that he would be returned home at that time. So basically I received the call at like 1030 on a Saturday night. I was actually out of town at the time. I raced home Sunday and got my house ready. Monday morning, a caseworker and a guardian ad litem came to my house to just kind of make sure the house was an appropriate placement for for a child and just kind of make sure it was safe and and met their requirements and that sort of thing. So Monday morning, they came to my house. They said I could pick him up at 12 o'clock, their parent education center. So that's how that happened. They said it would be for 10 days. It was expected he'd be returned back home. And- I just decided, you know, I can can do this for 10 days. It was summer break, I wasn't working. So I was like, okay, that's fine. To make a really long story short, each court hearing got pushed out. So we went to the court hearing in 10 days, and it was pushed out for another three months. They were trying to reunify, but it just became apparent that that wasn't going to be an option, that the progress and and the things that needed to happen just weren't happening. So that's kind of how that happened. So it was actually about well, it was 1,025 days after I got custody of him, so almost three years that um, his adoption became final.
1: Wow. I just want to acknowledge you for being such an awesome human in that moment that you said yes. And it's also just crazy to think that a 23-year-old thought that it was going to be 10 days, and then three years later, you are still with him. You ended up adopting him. And in that process, was there a moment where you were like, if he needs a home, he's going to have a home forever
0: here? For sure. I mean, there were several times where that thought came to me. I'll tell you the first month was very difficult. My question whether I could do it or not. He's a very, very wonderful child and he's, he's very, very sweet. But at the time he had been just living a life of chaos and, you know, it was kind of reflected in his behaviors. And so it was very tough. I, I remember not being able to be more than like, three feet away from him in my house at a time because he was just destructive. He was unsafe, things like that. And I remember one night, probably the first week sitting on the couch with him and I was just sobbing and he was just looking at me and I was just like, I think I made the wrong decision. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm the right person for this. You know, I, I felt like, oh, I'm never going to have my old life back. This is just not for me. But I i mean, I just can't tell you how glad I am that I, I stuck to it and A lot of it was just really going like he's been through so much, like I'm not going to be another one on the long list of people that's given up on him. I think after the first month, things got a lot better. But yeah, it was real tough that first month. I remember I got custody of him in July. I know for sure by like November, it was pretty obvious that he was not going to be returned home. And by then I was like, okay, this is his family. He can't he can't go anywhere else.
1: What a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that, and you are a real life angel. That's oh, what I'm coming to understand in this moment. So, can you talk a little bit about the care that Brett needs, and after that, when you first found the Family CNA program?
0: So, when Brett first came to me, I didn't really realize that he had had a lot of medical issues, and it was really because his medical issues had been neglected previous to his placement with me. And so probably like a few months after I got custody of him, I got him in to see a Down Syndrome clinic in Colorado, and they kind of helped us with therapies and services and also running regular tests for issues that could be common in people with Down Syndrome. His biggest medical issue by far is seizures. And when I first got custody of him, he actually was not having seizures. He started having seizures between the age of like 10 and 11. It's just progressed, and it's been a really awful, awful journey for for him for sure and and for both of us. It's just a very heartbreaking thing to go through. He has three types of epilepsy. so he has nocturnal frontal lobe epilepsy, and that's what first presented was um, his seizures that he has. They started only in his sleep. He was having them while he was sleeping. and i had I didn't have any experience or much experience with seizures. I'd experienced seizures with some of my students in my, classroom in the past, like no one in my family or anything like that has ever had seizures. So it it was, and I think I kind of had the thought that seizures are like what you see on TV and and they're not. (laughs) Most people who have seizures do not have seizures like what you see on TV. And so when he first started having seizures, we thought that he was having night terrors because he was only having them while he was sleeping. He was going through just a lot mentally and, and things like that with, the inconsistency of his case and the whole three years of his case before his adoption was really was really difficult you know we had taken him to the hospital and he'd had some tests run and it wasn't really until several months later that he was diagnosed with epilepsy and what happened was that morning he had woken up and he started having seizures while he was awake and it was the first time he had seizures while he was awake he had had three seizures within a few minutes at the home. And so I ended up calling an ambulance because it was something we hadn't experienced before and I didn't really know what to do. The ambulance came and took him to the children's ER that was in our town. And then he ended up being taken by Flight for Life to the main children's hospital, which was a couple of towns over. Basically he had over a hundred seizures within four hours and just really, really devastating. I and mean, we thought we were going to lose him that day. And then, you know, since then his, his seizures have just progressed. He's gone through periods back then he used to go, like sometimes he'd go a week or two at a time without a seizure and then he'd have one. And then, you know, he'd be okay for another couple of weeks. Eventually it started happening to where he was having seizures every single day. He would have one to five seizures in the morning, and then he'd usually be okay for the rest of the day until, until nighttime again. Unfortunately, about Three years ago, he started having seizures more frequently, and right now he's having um, dozens to sometimes hundreds of seizures every single day. Kind of that's what I was saying. He has three types of epilepsies. He was first diagnosed with this frontal lobe epilepsy when we moved out to Arizona. Um, he was diagnosed with Lennox Gastaut syndrome, which is just a very severe and catastrophic form of epilepsy. And then he also has been diagnosed with startle epilepsy, and that's what he's dealing with a lot. And startle epilepsy is very difficult because his seizures are triggered by everyday activities. So unexpected sounds, unexpected visual stimuli. One of his big triggers is using the bathroom. So anytime he goes to the bathroom, he has a seizure. And then sleep is a a huge trigger. Anytime he's sleeping, he has lots and lots of seizures. So...
1: Can you explain for someone that doesn't have a kiddo with seizures, like what's the hardest thing for you as a parent and a caregiver in those moments?
0: Just watching him and not being able to help him. Um, You know, we've taken him to epileptologists and he's had all kinds of tests and he's on all kinds of medications. He's had surgery. He has a, he has an implant, a VNS implant and just nothing helps. I mean, we haven't seen any improvement in seizures in years. Um, I remember back when he first started having seizures, he would go a few days or even a couple of weeks without a seizure. And it was like, it was like, yes, like, you know, he's been seizure free for, for two weeks and that's awesome. And now it's like, oh, if he's been seizure free for an hour, that's like our biggest celebration of the month. So just that part of it is really difficult.
1: I can't imagine. Um, because I haven't been in your shoes, but I, I can, I can understand how hard that would be when I, I used to run a pediatric home health care agency and I just remember how tough it was to actually find a really awesome nurse that really fit that because when it happens so often and when it can be so severe, it's like literally every moment there kind of needs to be someone just right behind him. I'm sure. Um, just to be there, maybe he would fall into a wall or fall on the floor, or, um, or hit something on his head, and and I can only imagine what it must feel like to just kind of always be on that edge.
0: Yes, it's very difficult, and especially with a lot of his seizures revolving around using the bathroom, it's tough because he's 18 years old. He doesn't want his mom around all the time when he's going to the bathroom. Just a safety concern, and we had an issue few months ago, probably back in like October or so, where he had a really bad seizure in the bathroom. He fell, he grabbed onto the shower curtain and the whole shower curtain, rod, everything collapsed and actually the toilet broke. And so then the whole bathroom got flooded while he was having a seizure. And so that's just really, you know, it's just really scary. It's like, it can just happen, you know, out of nowhere and there's nothing, like you said, he, he always has to have somebody right there because it's just not safe for him otherwise.
1: Can you talk about the benefits of the family CNA program? So at some point, you became his CNA from what I know that you told me. And I know that you have your CNA license in Colorado and now in Arizona. Can you talk about for him specifically, how does it benefit to have you as his caregiver?
0: Sure. I mean, it benefits having me as his caregiver because it allows me to be present with him when he needs me and not ha- not having to worry about being other places and things like that, but also, you know, he has a lot of other significant needs in addition to seizures. He has some pretty significant difficulties with eating, and that's always been a concern. He's underweight, which is pretty unusual especially for an individual with down syndrome because usually You see individuals with Down syndrome who tend to be overweight, and Brett really has difficulty gaining and and keeping weight. And one of the reasons he has difficulty with that is because he has compression of his esophagus and his trachea. And so it makes following very difficult for him. He has a lot of episodes of choking. When he does choke, it usually can lead to pneumonia, and then he'll end up in the hospital just allowing a skilled person to be with him and know, you know, how am I going to position him when he's eating and drinking? How am I going to prepare his food so that it doesn't become a choking hazard? How am I going to monitor seizures while he's eating so that, you know, when he has a bite of food in his mouth and he starts having a seizure, how am I going to get that food out of his mouth? That kind of thing, you know, it really needs somebody who is a skilled caregiver who knows him very well. This is not something that, You can just, you know, hire someone that doesn't have, I guess, like this, this medical background and really having the CNA services allows him to stay in our home. Because I think without having CNA services, I think he's at significant risk of being institutionalized.
1: And even if you had a skilled nurse or a CNA, depending on what he's eligible for, what makes it more beneficial to have you than a nurse that doesn't know him?
0: I guess I'll go back to the old adage, parents know best. Mom always knows best. I I know everything about him. I know exactly what his needs are. I know how to handle his needs, things like that. The other thing, I mean, obviously the other thing that's very necessary to have the parent CNA program is because when you have a child who's medically complex, and I haven't gotten into all of the other things, but he has stage three kidney disease and he has he's immunocompromised he has he has a lot of other medical conditions when you have a child like this maintaining a full-time job is very difficult because the common cold for a regular you know school age child you know that could mean weeks in the hospital for us and having that flexibility and an ability to maintain income to maintain our home be able to provide for him and being able to care for him when he needs it, rather than potting him off on somebody else so that I can, I can make the income. I mean, that's really what's made the biggest difference for us. And especially when we were living in Colorado the last year, we were in Colorado. He had a really difficult year. He choked on something at school in September. He ended up getting pneumonia. He ended up in the hospital. He missed five weeks of school. He had just very severe pneumonia. He came home on oxygen. He needed round-the-clock care. And having the ability to stay home with him and not be worried about how am I going to put food on the table? How am I going to maintain our house and things like that? I mean, that's what the program was created for so that we can care for our children and not have them put at risk for more significant things.
1: And and I think when we talked to you said you actually have some friends that have nursing here in Arizona and have they had struggles finding nurses?
0: Yes. Every, I mean, I'm on you know all the Facebook forums for children with Down syndrome and children with complex medical needs in Arizona, and I mean not a day goes by that someone doesn't post something saying we we can't find nursing, we don't have a nurse. We were eligible for nursing when we when we moved here. We had the evaluation and we were given the nursing hours, but you know we were told there's no nurses, so he's going to be on a waiting list. So we ended up having to decline the nursing services so that we could at least keep his other care. Because if you accept nursing services, you have to accept nursing respite, which means you can't do regular respite and that becomes really difficult to find care. So we haven't had nursing since we moved here.
1: What would you say to parents in Arizona that do or don't know about this program yet? And what would you want to tell them about this program? as it's coming to fruition, we're pretty sure in the next few months.
0: I mean, I would be like one of the program's biggest advocates. I, I, it's just so necessary. It's so necessary when you're caring for a complex child or adult, my son's now an adult, he's 18. It's just so necessary. And for me, it was, it was a lifesaver. I don't think that we would have made it through many of the struggles the health struggles that we've had if we did not have the ability to have the parent CNA program.
1: And I know that you, we actually connected because you are advocating right now for Brett. And I know I'm confident that through the last however many years you've been together, that you've had to be an advocate for him so many times what would you say to parents in other states that don't even have it as an option coming up? What would you say to them about advocating for it?
0: I mean, I would just say, talk to your lawmakers, talk to the people that make the decisions and let them know why it's not working. Let them know about your nursing shortages. Let them know about the complex level of care that your child requires. One of the bigger things that, helped me when I was advocating for, for Brett in particular regarding the parent CNA program was reminding them who this was about. This is not about me. This is not about, you know, laws. It was not about politics. It was about a child who needs to be properly cared for so that he doesn't go to an institution or a group home or worse.
1: Yeah. And, th- and thank you for ensuring that, when you were 23 years old and you took him into your custody. That's, that's such a beautiful story and thank you for sharing it. Okay. And I, I totally agree with you because this is the thing about the family CNA program is of course it's not for everybody. Somebody out there is like, I don't want to get paid. I would like to have a nurse and I need to have a break. And I'm sure everyone feels that. And families at least should have the option to say this is better for me and I would like this to be my job. And so advocating for this program for me is really easy because I I believe in it so deeply and I believe that just having the option to split it up, I want a nurse for 20 hours and I want to do it for 20 hours, or I would like to do all 40 hours, or I'd like to have a nurse for 40 hours, to me, every family in every state needs to have that option to decide what's better for them.
0: Absolutely. And that's something that I am the type of person, I don't trust other people with my child. I know him. I know, know, like I said before, you know, I just know everything about him. I know what he needs. I know what his triggers are. I know what makes things easier for him. I know what makes things more difficult for him. And so I personally do not, like, relinquishing care, I guess, to others. And the other thing, like you said, about nursing is having the parent CNA program gives us more flexibility because I can now travel with my son. I have the training and the certifications and things like that. And obviously just the experience to know what he needs and what to do when emergencies arise when we travel. A lot of people cannot travel with their children because they need, they need that nurse and nurses don't often travel so that's been a huge help to us as well that I'm able to provide the care wherever we are, whether we're at the doctor's office or family event or, or going on vacation, things like that. I'm able to provide the care for him in whatever setting he is.
1: Can you tell me, you said that, you know, just like relinquishing that care is just kind of makes you feel stressful. What is the most stressful thing? Like really just paint a picture for for what it feels like to relinquish that care, knowing all the care that he has?
0: Just worrying that something will happen to him. I mentioned before about how he was at school and he choked. I mean, he missed five weeks at school because his teacher made a poor choice and gave him hard candy when he had a choking care plan for no hard candy. Things like that, that it's like, I know that my child cannot have hard candy because I know that's a big, significant risk to him choking. Something that, has happened since we moved here to Arizona, we were in a situation where he was attending an after-school program. And these are, it's a program for people with disabilities provided through the Division of Developmental Disabilities. And basically it's a way to help parents who are working or just a place for your child to go for the after-school program. And this happened um, a little over a year ago that he was at this program. I arrived, to pick him up like I do every day and he was not there and nobody knew that he was missing until I came to pick him up it took a bit of time for them to figure out where he was he was left in a car for two hours he had been picked up from school two hours earlier he was supposed to have been driven to the center and the person that was supposed to drive him to the center forgot and forgot to drop him off and left him in a car I ended up picking him up in a Walmart parking lot. And I to this day have not sent him back to a program because it's so scary to relinquish that. And and these are people that are trained by the division of developmental disabilities. They're supposed to be people that are caring for your for your person with developmental disabilities. And unfortunately they don't have the training. You know, they're paid very little and it's it's people with no background, could be people with little education, things like that. And I get upset every time I think about it, but we live in Arizona and my son was left in a car for two hours. The only reason he's alive is because it happened in January and not in July. If it had been in July, he would have been dead. And how scary is that to know that I trusted somebody with my son and they didn't provide him the level of care that I would provide him. He was in that. Situation, he was he was going to the after school program because I have to I had to work because I don't have we don't have that program here yet.
1: And I think that's a good example of how it's different. I I always try to do my best to really paint a picture that this isn't a parent saying I need to be paid to be a parent, right? Like whatever age he was at that time. In normal cases, that kiddo is able to speak for themselves in a situation and get them out of situations or pick up the phone or make a phone call. And, you know, not every kiddo is having 100 to 200 seizures a day. They're playing outside. And I think people, when when we hear about this program, need to fully understand that you are a caregiver and you are being paid to be a caregiver and someone legally has to be there being paid. And why not be the parent? especially when we know that it's actually a lower cost to the state than a nurse. So to me, it's a win-win on all sides. And, you know, one thing that you shared earlier that I'd like to go back into really quick is you knew it was meant to be, and and you've had so many experiences with him. I'd love to know what is the biggest lesson that you've learned from Brett
0: as a parent? I mean, Brett just shows everybody that there is nothing you can't do if you put your mind to it. When I got custody of him, I was told all the things he would never do by his teachers, by doctors who evaluated him. I was told he'll never do this, he'll never do that, he's never gonna be a functioning member of society. And he has just pushed through every single thing that's been thrown at him. And he is pretty complex, I guess I would say, compared to his peers with Down syndrome. I think that he's he has some more medical complexities. And then also, of course, the the history that he's been through of abuse and neglect and, and things like that that he experienced for the first nine years of his life. That plays a part in that as well. But man, that kid has got a lot of drive, a lot of determination. And he is just one of those people that everybody loves. Everybody that meets him loves him. You would never know the things that he's been through by looking at him. He's just he has the softest, most tender heart. He has so much empathy for other people. He's funny. He's, I mean, every day he's just doing new things. And every day I'm like, man, he learned a new word. Or he, I just think back to when I first got custody of him and I never thought we'd be where we are today. And yeah, if you ever want a life lesson and kind of grit and determination, just look at Brett.
1: Amazing. I hope I get to meet him one day. Luckily, we're in the same state. Yeah. Last thing I'd like to ask you is you obviously are such a strong advocate for Brett. And I think advocacy means something different to everybody. So I've been asking everyone, what does advocacy mean to you?
0: Well, I feel like my full-time job is advocacy. It's just making sure my son gets the things that he needs to be successful. I just think a lot of times when we're you know unfortunately and I work in the I work in the field of special education and that sort of thing but I think a lot of times just our kids are not given equal opportunities they're written off as unworthy or not capable or things like that and so I do I mean I do feel like I have to advocate for for almost every part of this life and since moving here it's very different than Colorado we're very I guess kind of disappointed to see all the lacking resources here, you know, school advocacy has been very difficult, especially since we moved here. It was difficult in Colorado, but nothing compared to here. I feel like I have a full-time job advocating for him medically. I think, what day is it, Wednesday? I mean, this week alone, I think I've spent more than 12 hours on the phone with his insurance company and doctors and therapists and everything, just trying to get him set up for success and just every single thing is a roadblock. I mean, just nothing is easy. I always say to him, to Brett, I'll always fight for you and I'll always advocate for you so that one day you can do it for yourself. Cause I know one day he'll be able to do it for himself. He's not there yet, but you know, my job is to help him be the best advocate that he can be. And also to help pave the way for the children that are younger than him, that are coming after him so that they don't have as difficult as a, of an experience as we've had
1: wow i love that answer and i appreciate your advocacy for brett and for other families and even while you're sharing it just really it comes full circle for me just in the end the best thing for brett if he's going to have a caregiver is to have you who understands him and loves him the most and also the fact that you Will be able to be paid for doing that service with a license is better for you, which in the end is better for him. It's less stress, a little weight off your shoulders. And what you were talking about is being on the phone for 12 hours. And of course, parents are going to do that anyways. But there's so many therapies, there's issues, there's all of these things on top of being a parent that you have to wear these hats. And so. Families like yours deserve a little extra support because, I mean, a lot of extra support, but I'm just saying this program, the ability to say, I want to be the caregiver, it just only makes sense to me. So so thank you for joining. And I want to give you one last little space to just share whatever you feel you'd like to share.
0: Um, Well, something that you just said reminded me of something about therapies and things like that. One thing that this program allowed me to do, you know, when we lived in Colorado was to be able to be available to take him to therapies at times that therapists were available and take him to doctor's appointment at times that doctors were available. I adopted Brett as a single parent. I've never been married. probably never going to be married. (laughs) So, you know, we live on one income. And and being able to have him participate in all of the things he participated in Colorado was really a blessing since we moved to Arizona we've been on a waiting list for therapy since we moved here we've been on a waiting list over 3 years for him to just get basic speech and occupational therapy because i have one income so i have to work and unfortunately like i have to work to put food on the table i have to work to make my house payment things like that. So he's available for therapies only after my working hours, which most therapists are not available after my working hours. And so having that flexibility to say like, this is my job to take care of him. I'm not going to have to work around my work schedule to take care of him. I'm going to, my work schedule is him and he's going to get all the therapies that he needs. So, so that's one thing I wanted to say. And then I guess just something I would like to say to parents especially like when the program becomes available in Arizona and if it becomes available in other states. I, at first, was really hesitant because of the training. I mean, you have to go through a CNA class and get your CNA license. And it seemed impossible to me because, again, I'm a single working parent. I was teaching full-time, and the only CNA program in our state that offered a nighttime class was in Colorado Springs and so that was like over an hour away and so basically i was just like i can't do it one of the people that helped start the program in Colorado and she worked for an agency oh. in Colorado she called me on the phone and she said Jennifer you are making this too difficult we have a night class you can do the night class it's it was a huge sacrifice at the time. It was, it was a month long program. So we were working full time. So we were leaving the house at 6am every morning and getting home after 11 to midnight every night. And that was for a solid month. And then I had to do clinicals, which took place in, um, you know, like an assisted living facility, because that's part of the program of getting your CNA license. And I'm just so thankful for the for the person that called me and told me how ridiculous I was being by not doing the program. And she just said I was making it too hard and like, yeah, it was a sacrifice. And I was, I mean, it was, it was tough, but I don't regret it for a second. I'm so glad I did it. It opened up so many more opportunities for my for my family to be able to be Brett's full time caregiver. So I'm really thankful for that person. So hopefully someone listening to this, I can be that person for you to say, there's a lot of reasons why we can say it won't work, but like, just like, there's a way to make it work. And there's people that are willing to help you to make it work. We had to, I had to rely on a village to help care for Brett so that I could take the class. And, you know, we made a lot of sacrifices financially and time-wise to do the program, but it's so worth it because I saw the benefits of me being his caregiver and not not having other people be his caregiver that were not able to provide the same care that I could.
1: Wow. Thank you so much. That's how I feel about it. So when I get to hear it from you, it just lets me know I'm on the right path. So thank you for sharing and thank you for coming on here and, and trusting us to, to share your story. And hopefully I'll get to meet you and Brett sometime and for everyone listening. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. We appreciate you and have a beautiful rest of your day until next time.
0: And I just wanted to say thank you to you and thank you to to the Unforgotten Families for really advocating for this program and advocating for families like ours because it means the world to us.
1: Hello, Tough Advocates. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Jennifer Nelson. We really appreciated having her on the show. And if you are listening and you are a family in Arizona and you want to know more about the Family CNA program that's coming here, or if you're in another state and you'd like to know more, please reach out to us at toughinfo at theunforgottenfamilies.com. And please become an advocate on our website www.theunforgottenfamilies.com. There is an advocate link on the upper right hand corner and we would love to have you join us. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being tough advocates and we will see you on the next episode.